This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, so welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. My name is Matteo Rizzi, I'm the executive producer of the show. This is show number 95. The title is AI Takeover and is a show brought you by HPE, HP Enterprise and NVIDIA. We are here with our two guests today. I will ask them to introduce themselves as per our custom. Let's start with Adrian, Adrian Lovell. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you very much. And hi, everybody. Um, so, yeah, my name's Adrian Lovell. I'm based in the UK, just north of London. Um, I'm the CTO for our fin- uh, financial services industry. Um, so, really, I'm responsible for our technology strategy um, for anything related to financial services that we do as a company. Great. And our second guest today, Kevin, Kevin Levitt, out of Atlanta. Kevin, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Hi there. Great to be with you today. Uh, Thanks for having us. My name is Kevin Levitt. I'm the industry business development lead for financial services at NVIDIA, which means I focus on setting our global strategy uh, within the financial services ecosystem and then working closely uh, around the world with our partners to help educate and enable around the opportunities for AI and financial services. Amazing. That's actually a great uh, segue to uh, sort of start getting into the conversation. And uh, first, let's, uh, you know, if I am uh, like an auditor, the first thing I would probably ask myself is uh, why HAP and NVIDIA are together in a show talking about uh, AI? You know, well, that that would be a natural instinctive, uh, instinctive question. So, why don't you talk about partnership? Which type of partnership are we talking about? So let's get a little bit the the ground ground setting. Kevin, you want to start? Sure, I'm I'm happy to. And it all starts with the problem, right? Which is that banks, insurance companies, etc., see the opportunity for AI in financial services, and frankly the technology has gotten to a point where they need to set an enterprise AI strategy and they're looking for companies that are leaders in the space to help them figure out how to deploy effective AI infrastructure, how to do that at scale so that they can get the most value out of their most valued resource, which in many cases is the data scientist. And through the combination of HPE plus NVIDIA, we can deliver an enterprise AI infrastructure at scale that's full stack, all the way from the hardware up to the application suite to enable banks to deliver on AI-enabled applications for any variety of use cases. And I think that's that's exactly right. From a Hewlett-Packard Enterprise perspective, it, it, it's all about the partnership when you're tackling these sorts of challenging problems. Um, I don't think anybody would attempt to try and do this by themselves. So we like to work with our friends at NVIDIA because we believe in bringing what the best of breed is to our banks and, and insurance companies and hedge funds and all the other sort of customers we work with in the industry um, to try and address those core problems. But to where Kevin starts, you start with the business problem, you start with what are you trying to achieve, and then you try and pull in the best to get the full stack solution, not just one element of it, and then leave it to the customer to sort of, ah, go for, you can figure the rest of it out. It's it's how many people can we bring together to jointly solve and, and and really collectively solve a problem. So uh, a little bit of context because, uh, you know, Kevin and Adrian, we have never had the pleasure to meet in person and maybe it's, it's a good opportunity to know about our respective background a little bit. Uh, I actually happen to have a doctorate in computer science, but back then, uh, close to 30 years ago, 
artificial intelligence was still, you know, super, super early days. But then I was fortunate enough to sort of see the progression of, uh, of the fintechs since 2008 onward with DinoTribe and Swift and the banks sort of facing the first problems and the advent of the startups. And uh, I can see pretty clearly today how, you know, uh, s- startups trying to solve uh, specific problem uh, such as, uh, you know, microcredit, uh, you know, uh, the customer, uh, customer profiling, uh, you know, customer selection, they could easily use, I want to say, entry-level AI is pretty well understood. I'm also an investor in startup, uh, you know, I, I can detect pretty easily when an entrepreneur is actually trying to squeeze AI into the pitch so that the startup sort of gets gets value, right? And when AI is actually really tackling uh, a problem that needs AI to be solved or needs machine learning to be solved. By the way, it would be also interesting, uh, you know, this has been done uh, several times, but let's also give a bit of a distinction of what AI is and what machine learning is. You know, especially in the enterprise, uh, uh, in enterprise space, it would be great uh, for you to get this this definition. So, the 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 next topic is besides this distinction I just told. It would be great uh, for you to give us uh, your uh, uh, your view. Also, you know, what the optics is for a large financial institution when it comes to having an an AI approach, you know, because it is very easy to understand, uh, as I said, for a startup that does lending, uh, use AI and machine learning to get a better credit score, for example, right? But this in a large enterprise is only a micro part of a much larger problem. So let's uh, talk about how large institutions approach AI as well. Uh, Adrian, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll start with with sort of your your definitions, and and hopefully Kevin and I will say the same thing. But we don't always. Um, but I, I sort of you start with AI, which is this massive, broad topic that can encompass all sorts of things. Um, and it can be anything from what you see in science fiction to the very narrow pieces that we deal with today, which we call narrow AI, which is, um, I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but then you kind of have a subset of AI, which is called machine learning, where fundamentally the machine is following a bunch of rules um, to infer things about a solution. And then you get a further subset even within that called deep learning. And then deep learning is where... Um, the machine will effectively train itself. So you don't have to give it the rules to follow. You sort of give it some baselines and some example data and it will train itself up. Now, I'm massively simplifying things, but that's that's the broad um, definition. I, and I'll just throw to Kevin to see whether you want to add anything to that before I go on to sort of the optics side of things. No, keep rolling. That was very helpful. Okay, thanks. So um, in terms of the, the the sort of large FSI and what we sort of see, um, like you say, the... the there's different senses, and and it sort of it's the maturity journey of the different organisations. Um, there and they're anywhere from somebody has heard something about AI and they sort of think we should probably be doing something about that, but I don't really know what, and just throw it down the pipeline towards other people, and someone will work something out. Um, and then you have um, companies that are further down where they've begun to really investigate where can AI help. Um, and that's when it's done well, back to Kevin's first point earlier in the show, is where they've taken a look at business problems rather than, hey, here's a cool technology solution. Where can we fit that into our business? Um, it's uh, where is our business potentially in need of assistance, acceleration moving forward? Um but typically, I've seen them tackled in small pools within large firms. You don't often see a firm where AI is pervasive across every business unit, every part of the the, the company, but rather um, most companies seem to be in a position where they've got a few successful implementations that are really helping key areas in the business, and now they're in a stage where potentially they're struggling to scale that learning that ability they've they've sort of had a couple of quick wins and now are thinking well how do we 
leverage that and the knowledge we've built across the whole thing. And that's sort of where I see most companies. And there are one or two who are, are very, very successful in getting it everywhere, but they tend to be much, much smaller and nimbler companies which which don't have the broad complexity of a large legacy estate with existing processes because you can't talk about optimizing a business with AI until you actually get into what the business does and what the problem is and what the processes are behind it. Um, and that's often as much of a problem as the technology is as well. Kevin, what would you add to that? Sure. Uh, you know, one of the interesting dynamics coming out of a survey we fielded around AI and financial services is how the fintechs were jealous of the large incumbent high street banks, if you will, and the high street banks were jealous of the fintechs when it came to AI because the incumbents are looking at the fintechs who have this fresh slate from an infrastructure standpoint to build up uh, the right tools and capabilities needed to enable AI and, and enabled applications, while the, the fintechs are looking at the bank saying, oh my gosh, look at all the data you have to leverage AI against. And this is really kind of where we see the next uh, competition for, for customers and, and data and, and market share happening is around AI because back you referenced kind of 2008, 2009, you know, the financial crisis, which born all these uh, amazing fintechs. And really the competition was frankly around brand and consumer trust, given all the challenges that existed then from a financial health standpoint. And today we think it's actually pivoted around AI because if you're not in a position to deliver a virtual assistant and chatbot that's powered by AI, your customer service is going to be inferior to the competitor that does have an AI-enabled customer service experience. And the same goes for underwriting. If it's AI-enabled or if it's uh, not, there's going to be an advantage to the one that's AI-enabled. Uh, so we're really excited about where the market is heading, uh, both in terms of the competition amongst fintechs as well as the incumbents. And then you weave into that other entities because of open banking and other market forces and regulatory forces that are driving the ecosystem to shift in terms of the competitive landscape. Uh, there's a whole bevy of competitors that are coming in and will be leveraging AI up and down the customer experience to drive improved experiences as well as product innovations, personalization, et cetera. Uh, so we're just beginning uh, to see kind of the import of AI to a bank's competitive position as well as others that are fighting for market share. Double clicking a little bit in what you were saying, uh, uh, you know, about the, this relationship between uh, incumbents and, and startups, it it's, looks clear and it seems clear that uh, you know, startup. When it comes to AI, startups they only have uh, I, I want to say two options. You know, b build it and build it smartly. But you know, they they only have two, right? So where whereas a, a, an incumbent can also buy it, right? So could do a lot through partnership, can incorporate something that exists already. Whilst a startup, of course, is very often. Uh, you know, one of the great value differentiator that the kind of AI, the smartness of it, uh, you know, how applicable it is to their solution. But in your experience, how do you see, you know, the perception of uh, the, the incumbents of the large financial organization when it comes to sort of build a capability versus and of course, you know, I, I don't want to sort of anticipate the answer, but I sort of imagine that the hybrid approach is often applicable, right? But I'm curious, uh, or how they how do they perceive the fact of collaborating on such a topical uh, sort of uh, uh, infrastructure matter mm -hmm. with startups? Sure. I mean, build versus buy is uh, a frequent debate, you know, amongst the largest banks as well as as well as the fintechs. Uh, you know, some fintechs, frankly, are in the position where they're actually building AI as infrastructure, banking as a service, and selling that out, obviously, to the large incumbents. Uh, we have a great example of that here in the United States in a company called Upstart, who has leveraged deep learning at the point of underwriting for personal loans. And they are selling their platform from an AI underwriting perspective out to some of the biggest banks in the U.S. And that's because... You know, some banks haven't uh, either prioritized that use case 
or they don't have the developer capability in-house to build everything that they want and they need to go out to the market and purchase it. I think regardless of whether you're in a build versus buy situation, uh, the desire is the same, which is to find a way to do it with uh, the greatest ability to scale the productivity, either internally and or improve the customer experience externally. And you're also looking for a great ROI. And that's you know kind of coming back to the partnership between HP and NVIDIA. Um, that's why it's so important to have kind of the full stack capability when you're talking about AI infrastructure, because what we saw historically was it was not enough just to have great hardware and super fast computational capabilities, unless you have the software layer and the application layer on top. And that's why we focus on the trifecta of the product manager, the IT manager, and the data scientist, because those three have to be working in concert. Uh, otherwise, the solution is not going to get to market in the way that it should. Um, Adrian, I, I'd welcome any additional comments or thoughts there. Yeah, and, and totally. I think the the build versus buy dynamic is kind of as old as corporate technology has has ever, it's always been out there, um, and probably even before then. And and when it comes to AI, it, it, it's back to the business problem. It, it's the thing we'll always drive back to, um, which is what's it going to cost us? How long is it going to take to build it versus buying it? Because sometimes just go out and buy it because actually you'll get your value quicker and it's not going to give you a competitive edge if your solution is slightly better than some other guys. Whereas for other use cases, underwriting is a good example um, that Kevin used. If your solution is better than other people, you can lower your mar you can you can improve your margins, lower your cost basis, you can turn things around quicker, and you can deliver a better service than your competitors. So therefore, it's probably might be worth building your own or at least investing in a fintech where they have built a very specialist solution rather than taking a generic off-the-shelf um, process. Um, so the mix is quite quite spot on there and it's going to depend on on the data available as much as the business case because again if you don't have that huge data set not just sitting there but actually accessible for training of models you may not be able to build it you might have all the people in all the world and all the money to hire the best data scientists in all the world but if you can't access the last 30 years worth of data because it's spread around your company in lots of different pools and silos and everything you're not going to be able to train a model to be as powerful as you want so you're going to have to go and buy something if if for no other reason to tide you over the next few years where you go and build something that's far more advanced than the thing you bought um so it's a journey, um, and I think it, it's it's about collaboration between the goals of the business, which is often through a product manager, as Kevin says, um, and then the various people that, that somebody in, in a line of business will often go, oh, those technology, those IT folk, but realistically, it's two two kinds of people. It, it's, it's your data scientists who really understand the core underlying data that's needed and what we need to do to train models and, and effectively develop an AI solution. And then there's the IT guys that the data scientists also rely on to provide the infrastructure, the platforms, the um, we call it ML ops, so the operational process of training and learning, productionizing, all of this clever stuff the data scientists does to come together to give that product manager something they can deliver to the business. And and if those three people are not in lockstep with having a conversation around build versus buy, there's always going to be friction and problems there around one person's going to say do one thing, another's another thing because nobody's really talking. So it's back to the right at the start where we said it's about the collaboration of everybody needs to sit around the table and agree on the right approach for now. It might not be the right approach for 18 months from now, but break down the problem because this is a rapidly evolving field. And do you want to wait 18 months or just buy something whilst in parallel you build something? Actually, I wanted to like uh, uh, ask, a, ask another question, but uh, when you mentioned about this... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to say uh, friction potentially, but like collaboration is a much is a much better word. You, you you we mentioned like three pillars, right? So there is the data scientist piece, there is IT piece, there is the analysis piece. And how do you how important is uh, 
to sort of detect ways for these guys to collaborate together. Because we all know that in very large organizations, like IT always seems to know better, right? And and uh, somehow, you know, nobody gets done, don't touch the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And this uh, sort of uh, deep learning uh, and deep intelligence sort of sometimes comes as, uh, you know, something that is apparently invading someone else's spaces, right? What's your experience with this, uh, with these dynamics and how important it is to, to, to handle them? It's, I mean, that's, that's in my opinion, that's vital. I think if you're not on top of that sort of dynamic, um, it, it will, best case, it's going to take you significantly longer to derive any value from your efforts. Worst case, you're not going to get anything out of the lab and it's just going to die there as a science product project. So um, it is absolutely critical. Um, and the the recognition and it's often a defensive recognition and it and and to break through it being friction and for, to make it become collaborative it's understanding that nobody really wants to cause a problem in most well most people anyway um what it's about is the it guy may simply just feel very protective over what he or she does for a living and doesn't like the idea that somebody else may want to try and change that. The data science person knows what they want to do. This is how they've always done it. They may have come from another industry or from academia or or, or something where they've been able to do everything that they always wanted to do. And now they're in this structured, potentially quite corporate environment where you, you necessarily don't have that freedom. And then there's the business guy saying, I don't care what it costs. I'm making money here. Just get it done. Um, and basically that dynamic, um, what what we've been working with NVIDIA on is trying to help those individual people understand each other's point of view. Because actually, again, that's not a technology problem. Technology can help the problem, but fundamentally it's about understanding each other's points of view and seeing, quite frankly, everybody needs to work together or nothing's going to get delivered. And that's that's all that matters to the business at the end of the day, getting the thing de- delivered. Kevin, you want to take that? Yeah, sure. I, I'll take it up a level to the C-suite, if you will, which is seeing the effects of not having planned thoughtfully from an enterprise AI strategy standpoint, because as these challenge, all these bu- challenges are so- bubbling to the surface uh, in terms of, you know, you've got, tremendous demands on the lines of business to leverage AI-enabled applications. They're turning to the data scientists who are then turning to the IT folks for the right compute and the right infrastructure. And over time, all these organizations, because typically they're siloed in banks, they've been building up their own AI capabilities, some in the cloud, some on-prem, some with sophisticated capabilities to scale, others not so much. And we call that shadow AI, which has just crept up all over the organization. And there is no AI infrastructure at scale across the enterprise. And that's the solution that we're bringing to market is to help banks that have either fought through the initial stages of how do you get an AI model to market or seeing the benefits and want to scale that capability or others that have been more laggards and are seeing now that they can't compete unless they develop an AI enterprise strategy and get products that are AI enabled to market. Uh, that's kind of the confluence of what happens when these three important pieces of the puzzle are not organized and talking to each other is ultimately it surfaces as just a broken enterprise uh, AI because there is no strategy to go with it. Uh, so that's kind of where I would say there's a lot of tension as well as opportunity in terms of the conversations that we're having uh, across the executive suite today within financial services. Guys, stay with us. We're going to take a short break and we're coming back because they want to double click and sort of squeeze these guys a little bit in what is the approach, you know? So how much of it is uh, customizable? How much of it uh, is uh, part of uh, sort of uh, an overall ground strategy? Let's get, uh, let's get concrete just after the break. And it's a wrap. 
Are you looking to get ahead of the competition? Are you a data scientist being pushed to deliver AI products? Or maybe you're IT, trying to scale and meet ever-increasing compute demands? Well, you need to watch me, Gerard, in a short film. My team are trying to make an NLP-powered chatbot. Like I keep saying, how hard can this AI thing be anyway? Get over to hpe.com forward slash UK forward slash get ahead and watch the film. It's good. I look great. P.S. HPE and NVIDIA, they get it. Like, really get it. It's time for you to get ahead. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 95 of Breaking Banks Europe. I'm here with HPE and NVIDIA talking about AI enterprise taking over. And this is the how I want to like uh, uh, get back into the conversation. You guys have a common approach where large financial institutions, and by the way, I would love to sort of uh, dig in into the insurance space. I think that AI and insurance, uh, you know, you mentioned the underwriting uh, for some of the, uh, you know, as uh, one of the focus projects for some of your clients. I think that's an amazing uh, sort of uh, close to white space for uh, for AI today, but I close the parenthesis. And my curiosity now is, uh, can you talk a little bit more about what the approach is? You know, what, what this common approach on enterprise uh, AI is? How much of it is uh, sort of super tailor-made? Because I am, even I understand that uh, First of all, we need to listen to the business, understand what the problem is, and that's, of course, specific to the client. But I suppose that there is some sort of methodology behind it, right? Otherwise, uh, you guys would not have you know, partnered up to sort of uh, uh, try to build this project. So let's uh, double-click a little bit more into the approach and, and the methodology. Kevin, you want to start? Sure. Actually, I was going to ask Adrian to talk about the methodology from an IT infrastructure perspective, and then I can get into the use cases that build on top of that. And we'll talk about insurance in that context, if that works. Totally. Adrian, go ahead. Yeah, of course. I can see the bus coming to me. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, it, it's um, the the way you approach it is one of those things that is going to depend on the maturity level of a given customer. Um, so there, I wouldn't ever suggest there's one size fits all. And I think that, again, is the importance of the partnership. It's about the experience rather than a here's a model, here's an approach, go apply this and you're going to be fine because um, that's rarely the case. Um, it's, It's typically multiple phases from an infrastructure perspective. Um, it is, you need some solid foundations, which is you need all of your data accessible um, to start with, or else you're not going to be able to apply any sort of deep learning, any training to anything, which means you need to start having a coherent data strategy behind. And that's at the lowest level in your organization, kind of data underpins everything. We always talk about data as the new oil, it's the new currency of the future. Uh, it's a common sort of phraseology people People love to throw away, throw around, but actually, when you come talking about AI, it's vitally important because without that core underlying data, you've got nothing to go to. Um, so that's kind of where you start, and then on top of that, you start putting vertical um, and uh, vertical solutions in place. And those solutions may be around how we apply. Um, existing models that are out there that we know what they do, we know broadly how they work, and we're simply applying it to the data set that we finally spent a lot of time gathering and prepping. And we've got a bunch of partners that have cool software solutions to help you prep your data and do all that kind of stuff as well. Um, Or there's the flip side of, I want to custom build something and I really want to start from scratch. and, And both of these have a similar process flow because it involves enabling a group of people that typically call themselves data scientists um, to be productive. And a data scientist um, will will often have a very specific set of tools. They're sort of a hybrid between a computer scientist, a mathematician, an artist in some of what they do. It's, it's, a, it's a terribly complex field. Um, but the way they use the technology infrastructure is not traditional. You can't just give a data scientist a laptop and say, 
crack on, you'll be fine. Um, they will use huge amounts. They'll give you, you give them a data center, they'll use a data center, the whole thing. Um, but they won't be using it 24-7. They might use it in little chunks, and then they'll move on to do the next piece of work. And the, the ability to have multiple data scientists using the same piece of data and the same finite resources in parallel is where you begin to be able to scale these approaches in the enterprise. So when you're talking about getting into the detail of it, it's about enabling the, the data science group are fundamentally in the middle between IT and the biz, line of business product owners, which in the case of insurance might be your underwriters. Um, these data scientists sort of sit in the middle. They're your choke point. If you're not focused on the efficiency of that core group of individuals, both parts up and down the organization start to flounder and and struggle. So it's about providing them a coherent operational path so they can use the tools they want in the manner they want, access the resources they want without the usual challenges of enterprise IT, which is, well, you've got to raise a ticket or get a change or wait for access to this resource, or we can't use that resource because it's quarter end and we need the data for processing, or we've got too many claims because it's it you know it's december and everyone's it's icy and too many people are drink driving so there's lots of accidents so we can't let the system go down um that problem has to go away to allow these guys to be efficient so that's really the core piece and then kevin i'll pass back to you in terms of the way you then apply it to business levels so though mateo it looks like you wanted to ask a question yeah uh, no I, I i was i just want to like uh, uh it is almost like uh, you know one thing is uh, for for a for a large bank, for example, to have a team of data scientists sort of ready to be deployed. Mm-hmm. Another thing is uh, optimize the way they are deployed. So, if I understand correctly from what you just said, Adrian, it is almost like a part of this magic sauce that you guys are providing is also make sure that these resources are actually organized. Uh, and work in a proper way to deliver the result uh, that uh, you know bank is agreeing to. Almost is uh, almost if uh, you know data scientists were not always used at the top of their capabilities uh, inside the large institutions. It, this is what I understood, but I'm happy to say that I understood it wrongly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah to, I, to, to some extent, I would just say that that it's more around. It's not that they weren't data scientists aren't operating the full capabilities it's um often hamstrung by the existing traditional processes meaning they're not able to be as agile as they would like to be and providing agility in a large enterprise is often the complete polar opposite to what we want to do in the world of compliance and control that we have in financial services so the ability to do that and ensure the efficiency of people not so so not so much that they're not working on the right things or anything like that, but it it it's it's spending time because they trashed it because one of their experiments doesn't work. Well, why do they need to spend half a day? They're a data scientist. That's not really value. Thanks for the clarification, Kevin. Sorry. Oh, I was going to build on that. I mean, uh, even just them sitting around waiting for a model to train for for days or potentially a week plus such a waste of a valuable resource in your data science team that's why you know you need an accelerated computing platform for you to maximize the opportunity for the data scientists to do what they're best at which is to innovate and to deliver ai enabled applications that differentiate your experience whether that be to an internal customer or an external one and so you brought up insurance and wanted to talk about some of the use cases and the way we think about it is really kind of the journey of a of a consumer right and we'll use the auto insurance example where they're in a product discovery mode either they've purchased a new car uh you know and they're looking to acquire auto insurance well perhaps you know in the uk market they might go to a clear score or a money supermarket or a credit karma and these companies are using recommendation systems to integrate all of the data that they have about you to make the the right recommendation and make it a personalized experience to drive further engagement, lifetime value, et cetera. Then the customer is going to select an auto insurance company and that auto insurer 
might, you know, in the U.S., for example, use uh, telematics and, you know, how you drive the vehicle. And so the, there's a dongle or there's a mobile app that's collecting data 24-7 as the car is being driven. And how do you make sense of all of that data to underwrite appropriately in an auto insurance context? Well, that's going to be through the use of AI. And then once you've acquired that customer, they're going to have a question. They're going to interact with, for, via chatbot, hopefully, where you can offload some of the more rote and routine experiences and questions from your high value customer service agents to an automated system that's powered by AI. Uh, I was just reading for better or for worse, you know, uh, RBS's uh, Q1 report, and they said that their chatbot Quora for banking has grown 58% year over year in terms of the number of interactions. And 40% of those interactions are completed without human intervention. So if you think about pulling 40% of the inquiries out of the call center, what that does to the opportunity to truly serve your customers as well as possible. So then the customer, they've got the car, they've got the auto insurance, they're out on the road. Unfortunately, they get into an accident. Well, it's really important to an auto insurance company to get that first notice of loss. And how is that notice often taking place today? It's through the mobile app with customers taking pictures of the vehicle that's been damaged in the accident. The app sends those pictures over to the auto insurance carrier. What are they doing? They're doing two things. They're using computer vision to look at that imagery to make sure that that same dented bumper hadn't been submitted in a prior claim and therefore it's actually fraudulent and not a truly new accident or claim. And then they're also using AI to say, okay, a dented bumper that looks like this for this type of vehicle, we've seen that dozens, if not hundreds of times before. We know it costs X. Let's go ahead and pay out the claim immediately to get the customer to be able to fix their car, get back on the motorway and be on to their you know, regular, uh, the regularly scheduled lives. So the whole point is that, you know, AI can be infused across the entire experience uh, from an auto insurance standpoint, from a banking asset management standpoint, et cetera. And we didn't even get to the fact that, you know, how the insurance company internally is using robotic process automation to handle all of the paperwork that's necessary to process a claim and do other things associated with the business. Uh, so lots of opportunity for innovation. And we're just, you know, early days and seeing all of these use cases kind of migrate across the enterprise. And I, I think oh, just even to add on some of that, I think one of the things we're guilty of in financial services is we often, we look at these things, but then we we look at them with a very financial services lens the whole time. And actually, when you take some of the examples Kevin just talked through, we see them across other industries in other use cases. In terms of, a, as a technologist, the problems are very, very similar. So the way we talk about that automate, automatic claim processing, that's not that different a problem to automatic refund processing in the real retail world. Fine, the nuance is a bit different because you might be image processing or something else, but fundamentally, the business decision-making about do we want to just auto-pay this customer their claim because for the customer benefit, the, the value of just turning it around and getting it done, it's worth doing. It's the same business problem. But because we're thinking financial services, we never think to look elsewhere. So again, with these sorts of problems, hiring outside of financial services and looking broadly across multiple industries is something as an industry we're guilty in not doing and we need to do more of. Absolutely. And, you know, I was actually thinking of, uh, uh, you know, I was digressing into a way that uh, a, a journalist asked me, you know, a while ago, how to simply explain uh, like a fintech to a non-business person, right? And and I'll say, listen, you know, it, it is absolutely impossible for a bank uh, to give a loan to a florist, uh, you know, to, to a flower seller three days before St. Valentine's Day. And everyone knows that uh, on Saint, uh, the day after, the florist is going to certainly sort of reimburse the loan because it just needs more stock. But if you're talking about 10 to 20K, it's impossible for a bank to actually be able to decide, emit, uh, perform that loan and, and, and collect the money because they're going to lose more money that they're going to gain, right? It's simply because it's heavy. And AI is almost, uh, we could use the same sort of image, uh, but just to say to 10 million florists instead of one without even the florist need, you know, being in need to ask 
for that loan because AI would immediately figure out which florists, where they are, what was the average of the past year, how much money would they need, how likely are they going to go to, to, to get the money back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is almost like, uh, and, and now I'm getting to the question, of course, but I was also inviting you before the end of the show of using a similar image to explain the power of AI to a non to a non-business people. I, I I give it to you like a like a challenge, you know, before before the end of the show. If we can up, come up with a, a florist-like uh, image would be would be nice. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the opportunity. So we mentioned different uh, business cases. Uh, I think is Kevin, you, you mentioned asset management. I think that by the way, being able to solve the mass affluent uh, asset allocation using AI for the 100K average sort of investors would be like crucial. This has been, a, you know, and we're like literally early stage because to be, there is not enough history to be able to build such a, you know, the soundness of, of the model. But, uh, you know, in a couple of years, we will see a lot, a lot more of it. But uh, one would say that, uh, COVID happened, by the way. And uh, before or during, uh, the focus was really on uh, keeping the lights on, right? You know, the, having the infrastructure there, be able to sort of uh, uh, keep working remotely and stuff like that. Now, on, on, on the verge of uh, the past pandemic, it almost looks like uh, there is more focus on... Uh, value-added solution. This almost looks like the opportunity is now for AI and this uh, extremely high sort of uh, uh, um, solving problem uh, focused oriented solutions uh, to actually to actually emerge. Would you agree with that with that statement? Adrian? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it, it's well, well. COVID has has accelerated in, in what I've witnessed. It's accelerated a bunch of projects and programs across all sorts of industries in all sorts of companies um, that are focused on AI. I think it's it's been creeping up on us for a few years now. Um, with companies like NVIDIA, the, the power that you can get in this accelerated computing has just exponentially grown. Um, and, well, you know, I don't have a PhD in computer science, but when I did my computer science degree 20 years ago, um, we were learning about AI, but we didn't. It was it was fundamentally a paper exercise. Yeah, we could do a couple of... Imagine 10 years earlier than that. Imagine <laughs> 10 years earlier than that, Adrian. It was pure paper. You're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, these days, it's not a paper exercise because the compute has caught up with a theory that is, you know, 70, 80, Alan Turing's 1940s, right? So it's, you know, the the, the 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 compute has caught up with the theory and we can now implement it. And that's been the case probably for the last couple of years, at least, which is why some companies are a little further on than others. But COVID, to your point, has kind of focused the minds on people of inefficiencies in businesses. Um, because when... As most people listening will have experienced themselves, when you're in an exceptional scenario, the the breaks in process, the breaks in business, the things that you'd sort of papered over and you're just dealing with suddenly become glaringly obvious and actually can become real hindrance. So I would say from a board level C-suite perspective, COVID has really focused the mind on AI and put it as a top priority. I don't think you'll find a C-suite where AI is not... Go, go, pick, go pick a Fortune 100 company, go look at their latest annual report and you will find AI in every single one of them, I guarantee it. Um, and, and I think that's because they, the, it's recognized the top level, whereas previously it may have been a few levels down with a few science projects about, and a few very narrow focused projects. It's now broader than that. Um, and it's, it's more of a conversation as to where's appropriate to invest this resource and, and time and energy in my given business, rather than should we invest we want to invest. We know we got to do it. We're going to put aside the money. We're going to sponsor it. But where? And that's where most companies are, in my experience. 
And I love how Adrian phrases as the, the compute having caught up with the theory. And it certainly surpassed uh, the needs of the data scientists, say, to the point where, from a compute standpoint, that, that's no longer the limitation with accelerated computing platforms. The limitation is really the innovation, the creativity of the data scientists, of the product manager, of the business leader that wants to deliver an AI-infused application and bring it to market. Uh, and that's really kind of the next exciting kind of leap forward that the opportunity is presenting to everybody in the ecosystem is, you know, where can we take AI and how can we utilize it to really maximize uh, the experience uh, multifold. And I would say that, you know, certainly because of all the digital engagement that's taking place, you know, you no longer have the opportunity to deliver as a bank, a really personalized in-branch customer experience anymore. That personalized experience is happening through the mobile app or it's happening through video banking, or it's happening through the desktop. And so if you're going to drive customer lifetime value, if you're going to drive retention, if you're going to cross-sell products, if you're going to deliver better customer service, all of that has to be in a digital environment and ecosystem. And if it's going to be best in class, it's going to be AI infused. And that's where you know the opportunity has really kind of shifted dramatically, Mateo, to your original question from kind of pre to post-COVID. How do you judge uh, the soundness uh, and the effectiveness uh, of an AI project? Because most of it is, of course, by definition, you know, uh, underground, right? So it's, it's almost, uh, there is this uh, sort of uh, feeling of AI being a secret sauce, right? And, and everyone was saying, to a point where there was an interesting statistics that, uh, that was actually pre-COVID. I, I would be curious to understand what was it now, but the 40% of the startups saying they had AI in their software, they haven't. You know, it was some basic uh, sort of uh, uh, if then what, uh, you know, uh, like basic machine learning uh, sort of rule-based uh, uh, coding, uh, but that nothing to do with AI. How do you vouch, you know, this expertise is that if it solves the problem uh, that it has been built for, is that good enough? I, I would say it, it's it's about, and this is very much my personal opinion, it's AI is one of those things that's just becoming pervasive. It's everywhere. Um, and I would go... <laughs> It's not quite the Turing test of do you think you're speaking to a real human when you're not, but it's more about when you're interacting with technology. If your experience with technology is completely frictionless, then I would say it's doing its job well. If there is a level of friction there, if you're finding something a challenge or you have to think about it or if it, it's not necessarily doing what you want it to do, then I would say it's not. And that ju that's just a general technology statement, not necessarily limited to AI. But, but I would agree with your earlier statement that, that, you know, has it met the business goal? I mean, that's that's just a core given, I think. That's that's your that's sort of like your first KPI. But your other ones are softer, is, is where is your net promoter score? Is it going up? What's the trend? Are your customers happy? Or, or if it's an internal use case, it might be your HR systems. You know, it could be something to keep your workforce happy. It doesn't necessarily have to be customer-facing projects. It could be about workforce retention and looking after your people, or or um, something like that. Um, it's are you are people happier than they were before when they're interacting with your company? Because in my book, there's no more power, more important mechanism to measure the success of a company outside of its balance sheet, which is the happiness of its company, its customers. And I would just layer on that there are, you know, best practices out there to make sure that you've put in the right um, procedures from an AI perspective, because, you know, one dynamic that's really important is, you know, we talk to customers about not creating a proof of concept. Because a, a proof of concept seems like its own standalone entity that's off to the side, that's a, the purview of research and, and innovation. Really, you want to talk about a pilot, right? Which is a smaller scale kind of end-to-end -end workflow and pipeline that's established for an AI-enabled uh, project so that you 
are putting the puzzle pieces in place to take this pilot from the initial stage all the way through to an initial test where you've got your KPIs. And if you're delivering the business value uh, to, to both of your points, then you've got the pipeline already built to scale that pilot into production. Uh, and so we think that that's a great way for, for companies to start thinking about, you know, as they embark on their quote unquote AI journey, you know, how do you set yourself up for success? And obviously there are other best practices that we can talk about at a later date, but that's just one where you can really begin to infuse the team with the opportunity to lead with AI and not make it simply the purview of a research lab. Okay, it's, uh, it's about time to, to wrap up, guys. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, the, like, uh, um, the youngest uh, amongst our, our audience uh, that, uh, you know, are uh, thinking to enter the fintech market or like to, to specialize. How do you learn to be a good data scientist? Where, where, where do you start? What's your experience? Or where did they study the best data scientist that uh, that you have found in your like uh, in your daily give give some career advice uh, for a job that clearly has a, has a good future in in one sentence from a technology perspective today it's python learn python um but more holistically than that um it's it's about showing interest. Go out there. There's plenty of training online. Um, I'm sure Nvidia, Nvidia will will and Kevin can talk all about uh, the Deep Learning Institute that Nvidia run in terms of training. Um, that's a fantastic place. That's where I learned a lot of my stuff. Um, and don't try and boil the ocean. It, it's it's don't try and when you're first getting out, it's really easy to pick a project that's really complex and try and break it and lose interest. Start small, um, learn some basics of simple languages. Don't focus too much on the programming aspect of it. Focus on the problem you're trying to solve um, and practice, practice. Keep, keep going at it is my experience. Thank you. That minute, Adrian, is what I'm going to ask my son to, to watch. Thank you very much. Kevin. Yeah, just to add to Adrian's comments, I would say focus on getting practical real-life project experience, right? That's where, you know, you learn, you fail, you improve, and, and you go after it again. Uh, so in addition to, to practical experience, I would say also focus on programs that give you the opportunity to experience an experiment with deep learning. A lot of the applications we've talked about today are NLP-driven, computer vision-driven, uh, deep learning neural network uh, led. And so that's certainly where a lot of the opportunity in future AI applications will be born. Uh, so to the extent that you can get both the practical experience as well as the opportunity to focus on innovations and in, in deep learning, uh, that would be my advice. Great, guys. That was a, a super pleasant, insightful, and fluent uh, conversation around AI and enterprise. Uh, Thank you for the personal touch and the personal advice to the crowd, uh, you know, with which you, we we ended up this uh, this uh, this show. Uh, Kevin, Adrian, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, HPE and Media, to bring the show uh, to Breaking Banks Europe today. And uh, stay tuned. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe. <laughs>